Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. Episode 6, Next Generation Battery Chemistry. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Battery Technology Podcast with me, Ken Davis. Now, earlier in this series of podcasts, we discussed the rapidly developing science of anode technology. And in this episode, we wanted to take that a little bit further by exploring the latest developments in the chemistry of the next generation of batteries. I'm joined by Sepian Technologies, a California-based lithium metal battery materials company who are at the forefront of the work to replace graphite anodes. And it's a fascinating deep dive right at the cutting edge of the science in this area. I had the opportunity to talk to them about the performance advantages of moving to lithium metal and how Sepian Technologies are developing soft membrane materials and liquid electrolytes, some of the key enabling technologies for the next generation of batteries. In an earlier episode of the Battery Technology Podcast, we explored some of the developmental work taking place in the field of anode technologies. And I am very pleased to be joined by Salil Soman, who's the Vice President of Business Development for Sepian Technologies, based in California, to talk about some of the work they're doing in the anode development field. So welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, Salil. Pleased to meet you. Thank you, Ken. Pleasure to join you here today. Well, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot for us to get through, I think, in the next half an hour or so. But I suppose it would be a good idea for us to get us just a kind of introduction to Sepian Technologies, some of the history, the kind of markets you're involved with, and the kind of stage of development that you find yourself in as we're recording this podcast. Yeah, certainly, Ken. So Sepian Technologies is an early stage startup. We were founded in 2015 spun out of some research done at the Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. As you mentioned, we are headquartered in Emeryville, California. So for those who are familiar with the Bay Area, we are just north of Oakland. Mm-hmm. And the company is backed by a syndicate of several VC firms and a strategic investor, um, Solvay, uh, where we closed our Series A financing round in Q4 of 2021. And so far, the company has also raised about $11 million in non-dilutive grant funding uh, getting support for some early stage R&D work from the U.S. Department of Energy, the ARPA-E, and the Advanced Manufacturing Office, as well as domestically from the California Energy Commission. In terms of the markets that we are focusing on, our focus is heavily on e-mobility, specifically mm-hmm. passenger EVs to begin with. And as we continue our technology and product development, we see adjacent transportation verticals opening for us in the areas of uh, EV tolls, micromobility, consumer electronics, and so on. And I believe you asked on um, the stage of our development. So today Hmm. we are doing most of our R&D work in roughly 50 milliamp hour pout cells. Uh, We have demonstrated our technology scaling up to two amp hour footprint, uh, working with a third party base here in North America. And we are also moving to a new facility in just a few weeks from now, in fact, later this summer, 
which will then enable us to make a larger footprint up to 10 amp hour cells in-house. So that's a great way of starting this conversation. I think what I'm interested to dive into in a little bit more detail, and I respect there'll be some maybe some commercial sensitivities involved in this, but the kind of technology that you're involved with. Yeah, certainly, Ken. So our focus is heavily on enabling utilization of elemental lithium as the anodes in uh, lithium batteries. And so with that background, we are developing two technologies. One is what we call the interlayer, which is a nanoporous polymer coating that is placed on top of a standard polypropylene or polyethylene base layer separator material with our polymer coating interfacing uh, on the lithium anode side. And then in parallel, we are also developing liquid electrolyte formulations which are proprietary liquids using either conventional carbonate or more um, high concentration advanced ether-based solvents that then help us generate a stable and ionically conductive SCI layer working well along with that interlayer uh, membrane that I was talking about. Just so I understand, you're not involved necessarily in the lithium anodes themselves. You're involved in the enabling technologies which are going to mean that lithium anodes and all the advantages that they will provide can be used. That's exactly right. So our long-term business model is not to become a cell manufacturer or a gigafactory solution provider on our own. We envision Sapion to become a provider of two components, namely the coded separator te uh, technology and then uh, liquid electrolytes that uh, go along with it and then supply those two either existing uh, battery manufacturers, there's um, probably uh, only a handful that you can think of that are existing uh, suppliers to the automotive world, or to um, gigafactories that are coming up uh, literally all around the world, where I think increasingly car companies are getting more vertically integrated and getting involved in more upstream battery and battery component manufacturing on the ground. Before we dig into those in a little bit more detail, which I'd like to do, it might be worth reminding the audience of the natural advantages over graphite to adopting a lithium anode solution, if I put it that way. From your perspective, uh, what are those advantages? Maybe also touch on any of the disadvantages which exist through that transition as well. Any commercially available lithium ion battery today uses graphite as the anode. And the graphite material has a theoretical specific capacity of roughly 370 milliamp hours per gram. Lithium, lithium um, has long been considered the holy grail of all anodes as it has roughly a 10x higher theoretical specific capacity of about 3,800 milliamp hours per gram. So what this means is practically this translates into a 40% increase in cell level energy density so think of miles between charge in case of EVs, or think of number of hours that you can use your devices like tablets and smartphones between charges. Uh, or in some cases, um, as we are working with some of our partners, that energy density gain could be even as high as 90%, depending again on the footprint selection and the corresponding cathode material and so on. Just so you and the audience is aware, the concept of using lithium metal as the anode itself isn't new. In mm -hmm. fact, if you go to any supermarket today, you will find 
primary disposable lithium batteries that are commercially sold. But the challenge really is in cycling that lithium metal anode, because as you cycle the lithium, it starts to grow dendrites, which best case will give you inadequate cycle life, certainly um, nowhere close to what the automakers require today. Or in the worst case, it could result in safety issues such as fires and explosions that you're very well aware of. And so really what Sapion um, does, what our technology enables, is a more smooth, a uniform electrochemical deposition of the lithium on the anode side so that we can enable these lithium batteries to cycle a sufficient number of times as required by our customers in the market. So is part of your technology being used in the manufacture of lithium anodes to enhance the deposition performance? as well as being used in the battery itself? Or have I got that wrong? No, that's a great question. So there are different ways to skin the cat, if you will. (laughs) Our approach is really not to do anything on the lithium foil itself. We believe processing that lithium foil uh, certainly comes at a cost and also a level of complexity in terms of manufacturing scale-up. And so our focus is on actually applying our polymer coatings on the separator essentially making a separate role, a drop-in replacement onto an existing uh, lithium-ion battery manufacturing infrastructure. So because we are not looking at becoming our own cell producer at scale, we are deliberately developing all of our products to essentially make them gigafactory compatible. That's interesting. So what you're talking about here is not replacing a whole set of technologies, but actually creating a set of technologies which which can be retrofit, if that's the right term, into the existing suite of technology which are being used today already. That's exactly right. And we see multiple advantages to that, of course. Uh, one is when we are ready to go into mass production, we see that ramp up being a lot faster we can capitalize on the existing infrastructure and scale uh, considerably quickly. And I think it's really about de-risking technology adoption from a supply chain side as well. So we uh, often in our R&D work at the early stages reach a fork where we can take a fast path that may not be as drop-in compatible as we would like it to be, or take a longer path, which essentially could make a drop-in compatible. And all along, we deliberately choose the more difficult path, the path that makes it, again, compatible with that manufacturing infrastructure. So the technology adoption is dearest from supply chain side as well. One of the things I want to dig down into into is both of those components or both of those aspects of your your main R&D focus, which is the soft membrane materials and the liquid electrolytes. And we should deal with those things separately. So... So if we can start talking about the soft membrane materials, what issues were you seeking to solve through the development of those technologies? Any conventionally available or conventionally used uh, polyethylene type separator material today is highly porous in nature. And the pore size of that material can roughly ranges anywhere between 50 to about 200 nanometers. Hmm. What we do with our coatings, our polymers uh, are tunable and we can nano engineer the pore size 
anywhere between roughly half to four nanometers. So it's a ballpark uh, about 100x smaller than the pore size of that base layer material. And so you can think of it in a way that once you apply our coating onto the base layer material, that separator system essentially acts like an atomic sieve or an atomic filter where we can selectively only allow lithium ions to pass through and block everything else that we may not want to touch the anode within the battery. And so what that means again is that we can enable a tighter interface and get a more uniform electrodeposition onto the anode. Just digging into that then, in terms of the nanoscience that's required to do that, and can you tell us a little bit more about the actual nanoscience that's at work there? Certainly, Ken. What we really do, we are controlling the um, the solvation environment around lithium metal, or specifically the environment that lithium ions experience as they pass through our coating layer and also maintain a very tight interface between that coating itself and the lithium surface on the electrode. And so if you can do both of those things correctly, then the electrode deposition is more two-dimensional across the entire cross-section of the anode, which otherwise would be one-dimensional uh, in the form of a dendrite that leads to those premature cell failures that I was talking about. The, the use of the materials and the use of the technologies that you've been able to establish is a significant mitigator against dendrite formation in terms of lithium ions. So does it, does it eradicate that or does, does, is that always going to be an issue, but this is a way of actually managing that to acceptable levels? No, it would it would eradicate that. So we are not, you know, um, different companies have taken different approaches at trying to make uh, the lithium metal anodes work. Uh, often they consider use of a mechanical backing like a ceramic coating, but that doesn't uh, fundamentally prevent that dendrite from growing. It really just prevents maybe from shorting and avoiding bad things to happen to that cell. But that still does not solve the problem that you have with getting enough cycle life, enough usage out of the battery. And so our core focus has all along been not on how we prevent that dendrite from shorting, but really how do we prevent that dendrite from growing in its first place. Very interesting. So if we now switch our attention to the electrolyte chemistry of what you're involved with, uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Again, the kind of uh, issues that you were looking at to try to solve that your R&D into the electro electrolytes was able to solve. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, as we all know, the liquid electrolyte typically interfaces with all other components within the cell. So namely the anode, the cathode, the separator, as well as our coating. And so selection of the right components uh, is absolutely critical, especially for safe and long operation. And so uh, here at Sapion, we have a candidate of electrolytes um, and, and based on a specific formulation, it may comprise of one or more lithium salts, um, one or more solid or liquid additives, all dissolved together into one or more solvents. Mm -hmm. But when we utilize these liquid electrolytes together with that interlayer, what we are then enabled to do is um, things like inhibiting solvent degradation or also preventing unstable solvent components from reaching to the lithium metal 
or preventing transition metals like, say, manganese from coming in contact with the lithium metal and creating havoc within a cell. Mm. Again, all of which help us achieve good cyclability. Presumably, this is a journey that you've been on based on some initial fundamental research that you've now in the process of commercializing. Now, the process of commercialization, and I've been involved with a couple of those kind of things, uh, that's, a, that's a path that has got lots of stones and lots of, lots of difficulties and lots of obstacles along it. It's mm-hmm. never straightforward, that, the, the, the move to an industrial commercial scale. I'm interested in the kind of journey that you've taken and the kind of maybe even some of the difficulties and obstacles that you've encountered along the way as you've been moving through that technical uh, progress. Yeah, certainly. So as I briefly mentioned uh, previously, uh, we are in the midst of scaling up our technology into larger, more meaningful form factors for automakers. So we will start, uh, we'll demonstrate, I should say, to 10 amp hour footprint cells by the end of this year. Um, given which company or which specific uh, vehicle platform you're looking at, generally in the automotive market, uh, customers are looking for cells in the range of 60 to 100 amp hours. So these are fairly large format, high capacity cells used as building blocks. And so we envision over the next few years can to continue uh, scaling up and making bigger, larger form factor cells. And as we as we do that, then these open up some of the other markets for us to potentially fast track technology commercial commercialization uh, in areas such as um, micro mobility. So think of electric scooters, e bikes, um, adjacent markets such as industrial um, drones, consumer electronic devices, things of that sort. Do you find as as things are scaling up into much bigger scale are there are there problems that exist at a larger scale that just do not exist at a smaller scale or is the chemistry essentially identical multiplying it by a factor of x or are there things that are inherently an issue because of the scale that's a that's a great question so i'll be the first to admit uh, the lithium supply chain or i should say the supply of lithium foils uh, that industry is still very much in its infancy. So today, most of the material that we use is all commercially available and commercially sourced. So we are using 20 micron lithium foils. Uh, of course, there are several uh, advantages to use less amount of lithium, uh, cost obviously being um, being number one, but also in terms of manufacturability, handling, safety, and so on. And so I think what needs to really happen from a supply chain perspective is um, that industry needs to ramp up in being able to deliver ultra thin, high purity lithium foils in a in a very high volume as well. But the good news there is there's a lot of companies. Um, I can probably name a few as examples: uh, Albemarle, Honjo Chemical, Lime Metal, out of Canada, who are dedicating a lot of resources. Uh, to growing that supply chain side of the house. And so we we remain fairly confident that it will ramp up and mature in parallel. And by the time Sapion is ready to switch into mass production as well. I was looking at your website before before our call today, and I'm interested in the use of AI and simulation in your business. 
and and how that helps you through presumably accelerate the developmental phase. Uh, so uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Because it's it's obviously an interesting subject. There's an interesting conversation about how that actually materializes into improved R&D times. So that's actually a great question, Ken. So uh, simulation and machine learning really allows us to sort through large piles of candidate materials that would otherwise not be possible, or I should say at least not in any respectable time frame with pure ex situ uh, screening. And so what we do here at Sapion is we start with uh, DFT and molecular dynamics to literally screen a trove of interesting materials based on the molecular properties, uh, including quantum mechanical modeling uh, of new, interesting, and under-tested components, at least uh, in our case. Uh, we then curate and tabulate that component um, into a library that is categorized by type. So in case of electrolytes, um, categories based on whether it's a solvent, it's a solve, it's an additive, and so on. Maybe I can actually give you an example of a typical work week. Our machine-assisted algorithms generate up to 10 million formulations per week in silico for our chemists and scientists to look at from which the team uh, selects up to 100 of the most promising formulations for further exceduce characterization. So we actually make those uh, electrolyte systems and then baseline their performance on literally dozens of different properties, um, just to name a few. Looking for things such as ionic conductivity, electrolyte flashpoint, freezing point, solubility, and so on. And so once that is done, we further down-select up to 50 of those most attractive formulations that further make their way into in-situ testing, into experimental R&D cells. And then we cycle these cells under um, algorithms, charge-discharge protocols that are relevant to the e-mobility and automotive markets. And once these cells reach end of life, we feed that data back into our machine learning algorithm which then calibrates itself and generates the next batch of formulations for us to look at. And so, Ken, this is really a iterative process that yeah. keeps on constantly in an effort to make our machine learning algorithms better and better. It also implies that it's, it's a far from settled chemistry in the sense of you are constantly challenging with, with, with new materials and with new chemistries to see if those chemistries slightly enhance the performance of the existing chemistries and it's a it's an ongoing process of evolution almost that's exactly right so our machine learning algorithms constantly enable us to do a better job at making these lithium metal batteries work so uh, we are constantly optimizing and improving performance across several metrics, be it our uh, charge, fast charge capability, our discharge rate performance. Um, there are literally hundreds of metrics you could look at. Um, and the machine learning algorithms, again, help us yeah, optimize those electrolytes and polymer coatings to get there. Fascinating. So what does the next five years look like? I mean, clearly you've had two and a half years of pretty rapid advance in terms of the technology and science that you've been deploying and and improving. Where are you looking to be 
in 2028, in five years' time? What, both in terms of scale and in terms of the industrial commerciality of of what you're developing? That's a great question, too. So long-term strategy for us, Ken, of course, is to become a supplier of coated separators and liquid electrolytes to these existing battery manufacturers. But we understand there is a need to uh, supply cells in an increasingly larger as well as a non-standardized footprint as we continue uh, going through different cycles of our technology validation and qualification process with different OEMs. And so what we see happening here over the course of say next four to five years is um, we will continue to make bigger cells. As I, as I briefly mentioned previously, we are moving into a newer facility that enables us to synthesize much larger batches of polymers, do much uh, wider, longer coatings, everything that's required to make these bigger cells and make them in still what I would consider a low to mid volume as we go through these uh, pre-alpha uh, A, B type of sampling with different OEMs. And then uh, as we as we mature these products to a certain technology readiness level, uh, we will introduce these to other markets, including consumer devices um, and industrial markets I mentioned previously. But then purely on the, uh, if you look at purely on the technology of the R&D side, we are also looking at more cutting edge cell design. So think of, uh, as an example, anotrig cell configuration, or even the use of uh, alternate cathode materials. So today, most of our cathodes are nickel-rich NMC 811 or high nickel concentration formulations. But um, looking at uh, cathodes that are naturally cobalt-free or nickel-free or cathodes that are more sustainably sourced and don't involve some of these materials to begin with is also uh, of very strong interest. And we see continuing our technology development in that area in parallel as well. Well, that's interesting. Presumably, the performance of the anode or the performance of the cell is, is to a large degree dri driven by the cathode. So I, I guess you can't see your work in terms of what you're doing in terms of separators, what you're doing in terms of electrolytes in isolation away from the cathode chemistry either, I guess. That's right. That's right. So it's really about, yeah, it's constantly about tuning the whole system to work well together. So as we start introducing new cathode materials, be it LFP or LMO or any of the other materials, you then have to go through a, a quick iterative cycle of, again, calibrating those polymers and those liquid electrolytes to work well with that particular cathode system. Salil, that's been a fascinating journey through. Uh, it's been a whistle-stop tour, if, as, if I can say that, in terms of uh, over half an hour in terms of the kind of work that you're doing. But it's fascinating. And uh, clearly right at the cutting edge of the technologies that are involved in battery and cell manufacture and design. And therefore, it's been a pleasure to catch up and a pleasure to, uh, to, for you to, to take us through exactly the kind of work you're doing there. Thank you, Ken. Absolute pleasure to uh, join you here today as well. I could talk batteries all day, but uh, yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot more we can always unpack. It's, uh, it's been an incredible journey and uh, can't wait to bring this technology to the market. Well, the best of luck for the future. It sounds like you've got things well under control, but uh, congratulations in terms of how far you've come so far and uh, good luck in the, uh, in the onward development. Thanks so much. I can appreciate your time today.
The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted 2030 Net Zero Limited production. For more details on how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com. Thank you.